0: Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, If you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B Marketing Managers, CMOs, Marketers in Demand roles, Content Leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and
1: tactics that work, then this podcast is for you.
0: Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook
1: first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.
0: Welcome back to the B2B Playbook, listeners, Kevin, today we are sharing the pretty damn awesome results of our first collaboration and campaign for our demand gen program, the B2B Incubator. Basically, we wanted to see with just a $500 investment in LinkedIn ads, could we generate a healthy, positive ROI from this campaign? Spoiler, yes, yes, we did. Stick around and Kevin and I are going to share our exact stats from our LinkedIn ads how much pipeline and close one revenue it drove, how the collaboration helped turbocharge the whole campaign and what we've learned to improve for next time. Kev, are you excited for today?
1: Yes, very excited. And as you said, thankfully, we did drive an ROI positive campaign. Things were looking good. It would have been, as you said, a few times throughout the journey, a bit embarrassing if we fell on our ass here. But thankfully, we didn't and excited to jump in and share the results from the campaign. George, maybe we can start off by giving a recap to our listeners on what the campaign was about, how we went about it, if they haven't been following along for the campaign's journey so far.
0: Yeah, for sure. Look, we've already done an episode that shows you guys the process that we went through from creating the idea of this campaign to the sponsorships to jump on board and the actual execution of it. We documented every single one of these. They're available on our YouTube. They're available as podcast episodes. We've had amazing feedback from our listeners and viewers on it. So please go back and check those out. We'll link them in the show notes as always. But look, the quick version is that we owed a $500 referral fee to one of our loyal listeners, Monica. She refused to take it because she's just so damn nice. And she said she got so much value from the podcast that she didn't want to uh, take it from us. So we thought that we would take that $500 and for the very first time invest it into paid ads for our demand gen program, the B2B incubator and give her 20% of whatever money we make from those ads for this upcoming cohort. Now, as we were working with a teeny tiny budget of just $500 on LinkedIn ads, we consulted specialists to help us create the perfect B2B marketing campaign. We started with customer research consultant, Ryan Gibson, to really find out Monica's pains and anxieties and really what she got from the program. We then passed that on to landing page and copywriting expert, Jess Cook, to then help us update our positioning and messaging based on this, and then our landing page to help her convert better. And yes, she did help it convert at least 50% better, which is pretty awesome. We then consulted LinkedIn ads expert, Justin Rowe, to give us our strategy for how to spend our $500, and then to tracking expert, Pasha Urshad, so we knew how to track the results and outcomes of this campaign, so we could see how it went and do better next time.
1: It was a great journey, great to collaborate with so many experts and of course Monica for making it all possible. So a big thank you to all of them for participating and helping us along in this journey. It ran for six weeks. The goal was to invest that $500 and see how much pipeline we got back from that initial investment. So that was our objective. And in the end, the LinkedIn ad generated a sale pretty quickly. And so we reinvested a bit of that as well and we spent a total of $1,500. So actually a little bit more than the $500 that Monica initially gave us but only reinvesting the profits from that initial $500. George has also posted this organically as well to support the campaign but he's only been doing that once a week. So the majority of the lift is coming from those paid ads on LinkedIn.
0: All right, Kev, let's go through the top line stats and outcomes. I think this is what everyone's willing to hear, and then we're going to dive into the nitty gritty and really break it down. And for those who are listening, go and check it out on YouTube because we're actually sharing screenshots from our LinkedIn ads campaigns and calculating ROI and ROAS and all those fancy things. So make sure you check out the YouTube episode as well. Okay, the high level stats and outcomes. How do we go with the campaign as a whole? Kev, in that six-week period, we generated over 76 applications across all our channels. We, of course, from that, as you would hope, we sold out all 10 spots for the B2B Incubator for our end of August, early September cohort. We also have an overflow for the next cohort from those who couldn't make the current one or just we couldn't fit them in. We added 212 subscribers to our newsletter list and at least 50 YouTube subscribers. Kev, Top line, I'd say we met our goals pretty well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Some great stats there and obviously filling out the cohort and being able to share the value of the course, not just in this cohort but into the next one is exactly what we're looking for and really excited that the paid ads were working. Obviously, you and I coming from the performance space, we don't always see such great results, sometimes a bit hit and miss, particularly in the B2B space. So it just goes to show everything we've been building seems to be going in the right direction. We're adding value, we're building trust and the ads are doing that amplification role that we talked about in BC and seems to be doing that job very well.
0: That's right. We are following our own 5Bs framework for our business, for the B2B incubator. So it wasn't a huge surprise to us that this did work well once we did it. If we weren't following our process, if we had started with an advertising LinkedIn ads first mindset without doing all the work that we've done before that, I'm not so sure that these results would be as impressive, Kev. All right, I'm now pulling up a whiteboard for those who are watching along and we're gonna run through some of the LinkedIn ad stats. Okay, so we said that 10 spots were sold out. Now, how many of those came from LinkedIn? Three out of those 10 spots came from LinkedIn ads, but there was a ton more pipeline. So the good news is, Kevin, because we could attribute three of those people who registered out of the 10 for our cohort, that means we can give Monica 20% of what we promised, which is $1,500, which is awesome. We've got to turn that $500 investment into a $1,500 return for Monica to give to her, which is pretty damn awesome. So let's break that down. Now on my screen, I am showing you, we ran two campaigns for this really. Now one was a campaign that we ran with some budget that our sponsor Dovetail gave us. And they gave us some budget, about 2,200 Australian dollars. They gave us some budget just to promote the content of when we created the first part of the experiment. And that was the episode that we had with Ryan Gibson, which was all about when he went and actually interviewed Monica, who is our dream customer, to find out her pains, anxieties, outcomes from the course, which really helped form a really solid foundation for the campaign. Now, Ryan uses this platform to record all his customer research called Dovetail. And so it was pretty easy, no-brainer decision for them to sponsor this part of the experiment so what we did was we turned that into a video we turned some pretty great content showing what the campaign was all about showing Ryan's role in it and showing off Dovetail as a platform and then we just used that money to boost the creative we put together on LinkedIn to our dream audience so in all we spent $2,200 and Kev we weren't even thinking that this would drive applications we just thought that this would be some good awareness the initial plan was hey If we get people who view the video, it was like a three-minute long video, if they view about 50% of this campaign, then that kind of suggests that maybe they'd be interested in the B2B incubator program itself. So we set up our LinkedIn ads to really capture that audience. And what we found was we actually got seven click-through applications from those ads, from that $2,200 ad spend, which is... I don't know, Kev, I really didn't expect that to happen at all. That was an awesome outcome. So that means someone literally watched the video, which was just us showing helpful content of Ryan interviewing Monica using the Dovetail platform. People clicked that, seven of them, and then applied for the B2B incubator. We had 16 view-through applications from that. Now view through versus click through for those that don't know click through just means that someone clicked that ad and then they applied on our website view through means that LinkedIn ads was able to track that person and even though they didn't click that ad they we still have tracking set up on our website we could see that person viewed that ad they didn't click the ad but then they still applied so they might have gone about it in a different way like googling the b2b incubator or going through another source maybe typing in the b2b incubator.com and applying straight away there
1: i think it was pretty exciting as you said george to see those applications come through from those dovetail ads themselves as you said it was very much an awareness drive a nurture drive for those ads both to get dovetail's name out there and as well along with our own name and to share that helpful content as you said amplification stage and be seen that's what we're trying to do we've got that helpful content we're trying to spread it beyond the organic reach with some paid ads i think it's just another great sign that the content seems to be resonating and it's hitting the right audience kudos for the targeting (laughs) it seems to be hitting the right audience and people are clicking through because they're finding value in that as you said pretty good return even on that spend with the number of applications that came through there
0: All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's Basically, like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Lead Feeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show.
1: But what's more exciting, of course, is the ad spend that we did on behalf of Monica's $500 that we reinvested and the application and numbers we got through there, which in this case is obviously much more conversion-driven, applications-driven rather than the Dovetail campaign. So obviously, we see an uplift in those conversion rates, but still very exciting to see the numbers we were able to achieve.
0: Yeah, 100%. And look, for those that are watching, I've got our LinkedIn ads dashboard up right now. We're looking in the platform. And for the time period, those six weeks, you can see that right there, we've got all our tracking set up and we were tracking engaged viewers. So people who clicked from the actual collaboration video ad that we did and then browsed our website, we tracked how many of those were technically engaged, meaning that they scrolled more than 50% down the page and spent a bit of time. We tracked how many went and clicked our business case, because of course we have a business case on the B2B incubator page for people to send to their boss. We track the number who applied, as we should. We track the number that requested a free sample. And we have counted those as kind of applicants in this as well, Kev, because in our experience, many of those people who applied for free samples tend to go on and want to join the incubator. And then there's a few other things that we track in there too, like how many turned as newsletter subscribers, how many joined the B2B incubator wait list as well. So there's quite a lot that we tracked there. And actually, Kevin, I forgot to include those that joined the B2B incubator waitlist. So that's actually a couple more that we can tally up and add to this total. So anyway, let's just say, Kev, roughly about 16, 16 view through and six or seven click through, which is pretty awesome. And then from subscribers, we had at least 24 people join our newsletter list from those ads alone, which was pretty awesome. Really great outcome. Let's move on now and look at how our ads, which were designed to promote the B2B incubator, how they went. As you said, Kev, these ones were more conversion focused. We didn't really spend much money on, I guess, these ads being particularly helpful. It was more about, hey, like this is the B2B incubator, this is who it's for. And this is what you get from the program. And then we had a few like testimonials and that kind of stuff too, and retargeting to show people that, hey, people just like you, demand gen marketers, B2B marketing managers, marketing directors have got a ton out of this program and you will too, if you go ahead and apply. So let's look at how that did, Kev. Looking at click-through conversions, we had... 21 applications and two free samples. So that's a total of 23 people who literally clicked the ad and then applied, which was pretty great. And then for view through those who viewed it and then went on to apply, we actually had 42, which was pretty huge. And so that gives us a cost per application of $65, Kevin, on the click through and $35 on the view through which are really good numbers from our point of view and something that I'm excited to see how far we can scale and push.
1: Yeah, those numbers are definitely really attractive, particularly given our average order value or purchase value for each incubator sign-up. Obviously, that is not at the incubator sign-up stage yet and we're not comparing apples to apples quite yet, but very good starting points with the CPAs, particularly on LinkedIn ads that we all know can be a little bit expensive.
0: You're spot on Kev and look, I've pulled up a bit of a calculation here for us as well, because we want to see as well how much pipeline these ads have generated. We only had 10 spots and a good chunk of those spots were already filled by people who would come in organically or listen to the podcast. And we really try and preference those who listen to the podcast and give them spots. So we had more people who wanted to join than could actually join because we just didn't have that many spots. So that's why it's important for us to look at pipeline and in particular, like really qualified pipeline. And the metric that we look at for that is high intent revenue opportunities. So how many of those did we actually get? And high intent revenue opportunities are those that have actually gone and applied for the program and fit our ICP. That's how we've defined them. And they have a pretty high chance of turning into someone who's a paying or is very likely to be a paying customer, a paying participant of the B2B incubator. So if we're looking at last click, Kevin, people who literally clicked the ads and then became applicants, we're looking at about $75,000 in pipeline alone. And that's with the $1,500 spent on the incubator ads and the $2,200 spent on the Dovetail collaboration. That gives us a return on ad spend of 20 to one on click through. So that really means that for every dollar that we spent on LinkedIn ads, we're going to get roughly 20 back in pipeline. Now, not all of that is going to turn into revenue, but it's very like very qualified. We're not talking about MQLs here. We're talking about like proper sales opportunities here. People who have taken their time to apply. They want to join the program and are in that process of getting budget from their boss to join on view through things look even better, Kev. So click through was $75,000, but on view through those who viewed the ad and then applied, we actually generated $145,000 in pipeline with a pretty wild return on hat spend of 38 to one. Now that's, again, pretty huge. We of course have other organic efforts that are helping boost that, but really, Our ads were the main way that we're getting our message across of the B2B incubator. So they are doing a lot of heavy lifting there. So look, the truth as to the impact of the ads, whether you look at click through or view through, it's always somewhere in the middle. It's something that we can talk about more, but at least we know that we've got a very, very healthy pipeline, whether we look at click through or view through.
1: And we do have episodes on reporting and attribution in previous episodes where we talk about that. As George said, a lot of the times it lands somewhere in between. At least we have a range to work between. And as George said, both ends of the range are looking pretty healthy no matter where you sit on that range. Now, as George mentioned, we couldn't fit all our LinkedIn ads applicants in. We did have a preference for applicants coming from the podcast or organic social. It still meant that we were able to get that $1,500 $1,500 from the reinvestment that we can send Monica's way from closed one revenue and that's something we'll talk about next it's a shame that we can fit more in but it's already generated a positive ri in her case and in this particular campaign's case so that's very exciting beyond that there's future pipelines very healthy pipeline that's been built from the campaign but there's also the buzz around the campaign itself and the valley that we've hopefully driven to dovetail as well. We have heard good things. A lot of different benefits and silver linings that came from a very positive campaign, not just in these numbers alone. But in talking about those numbers alone, let's talk a little bit more about the application breakdown and what we are able to convert in this particular cohort.
0: Yeah, for sure, Kev. So look, we had 76 applications in total across all our different channels. LinkedIn Organic contributed to it, the podcast did, Google Organic, our newsletter had a couple as well. The LinkedIn Organic came from me posting, but also from our Dream 100 posting about the collaboration, and I wanna get into that a little more. But look, as we said, really for this cohort, we could fit in, just because we only have 10 spots available, we could fit in three, three people that came from our LinkedIn ads. The amount that we spent to get, I mean, we got a lot more than three, but the amount that we spent in our ads was $1,500. The amount of close one revenue generated from those three customers is $7,500. So you divide the two and you get a return on investment of five just for this cohort, Kev. But the reality is the ROI is going to be much better than five because we do have people overflowing into our next cohort and a huge pipeline of people who are going to help fill these cohorts moving forward.
1: And I think it's also a great illustration of really rewarding your partners and incentivizing them. Monica, in this particular case, she's given us an opportunity to showcase that That ROI of five is probably a little lower because you're paying out as much as you can to those affiliates, to your partners, to your referral partners. In this case, Monica, for us, and that will pay off in spades, and it already has paid off in spades, and that's something we really encourage you to look at. What opportunities can you do to reinvest that ROI? Because that ROI number is just going to get better. And as you can see, first campaign, on paid ads, with this sort of thing, we can already generate so much ROI from that referral program that we're starting to get off the ground. So very exciting opportunity for you to really look at how you're incentivizing and rewarding your referral partners and how they can really become a very big part of your pipeline revenue generating source.
0: And Kev, those partners came from the I guess the people that we collaborated with in the campaign itself. I know we had a number of applications from people who really discovered us for the first time because we collaborated with the likes of Jess Cook and Justin Rowe and Ryan Gibson and Pasha Urshard and someone in our self-reported attribution even told us that, hey, how they first heard about the B2B incubator was from a post from Jess Cook on LinkedIn, which was really where we got her to promote her part of the collaboration, which was all about how she used her awesome copywriting knowledge to turn the customer insights from Ryan Gibson into a landing page, it's gonna work really well for us. And pretty awesome to see that, Kev, in our self-reported attribution to know that, hey, the Dream 100 that we collaborated with has actually really paid off.
1: That's it, George. Dream 100 is certainly one of the most exciting concepts that we talk about, and that really gets people going, and it's another great illustration of it at work in this particular campaign as well, that collaboration impact, as you said, really helps any campaign go a long way. And I think this is a great point in the discussion to turn to the learnings from the campaign. We've gone through the results, obviously positive from our angle and hopefully very positive for everyone involved in the campaign. Everyone hopefully is getting a win. Let's have a look at the learnings that we've taken out from running this campaign. So the first one is I think organic and paid really work well together as a great combo. Even better when there's that great story or good story to go around it and to really emphasize throughout the campaign. So those LinkedIn ads that we ran was mostly spent on our warm audience. So really guaranteed that the distribution of our message for this conversion type ads for demand capture, in a sense, is to people that are already a good fit so that they would perform the best. But at the same time, we really started to scale that into a cold audience through, towards the end of the campaign. And that still had a very healthy cost per acquisition because we were able to base it, all that cold acquisition activity around that initial core of warm audience. And do you get that warm core audience, a lot of it happens from the organic work that we've been doing for quite a while and also throughout the campaign itself. So they really amplify each other and support each other as we've been saying paid tools really only work very well when you have that strong organic following, that strong core in organic content and helpful content already. And this is just another showcase of that. And it shows us also that we can potentially work more into that paid space over time and see how much it scales, but not forgetting that a lot of the value there is driven by our organic work that we need to continue.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how we go like with a a purely cold audience. As we said, we did start to scale out to it and we were getting cost per application. Like we're getting applications for a good healthy cost for us, which was pretty awesome to see. As to how far that scales, I'm not sure, Kev. I think because we spent the time really nailing down who this is for because we have really niched down I think with the right targeting, it's gonna be something that does scale really nicely. Like we are speaking very directly to a very niche group of people that is largely ignored by the wider world and we're giving them something that they need. So I think that's why we already saw pretty promising signs once we expanded to our cold audience. But having said that, Kevin, we barely even exhausted our warm audience. So over that six weeks, our frequency was pretty low. I don't think it got like higher than three or four, which means by the way, frequency listeners is, how many times did the average person consume your ad over that period of time? So if your frequency is three over a six week period, that means that the average person in your targeting pool only saw your ad three times. But we also had a ton of creators in there as well. Probably too many, Kevin. So really, we weren't even getting all of our messages in front of our warm audience. So I would argue that there's still so much more that we can do on that warm audience side before needing to expand further into the cold audience too.
1: To play devil's advocate a little bit, well, I certainly agree with a lot of what you just said, George. I think there is a lot of scope for us to explore more. Just like to remind our listeners again that it is important to have that initial organic audience and to generate a lot of the trust and the momentum through the organic work and the helpful content because even in this stage when we're driving a lot of applications through the LinkedIn ads, actually many of them, when we get to talking to them, they say that they had listened to our podcast before and they were familiar with us and the podcast. And So even though they came through and applied through the LinkedIn ad, that was the thing that prompted them, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, the last thing that prompted them to get across the line. A lot of them had seen organic social content from George. A lot of them had been aware of the podcast through following it for some time. So all that helpful content work is still very important. And it's probably a good segue for our next learning as well is that you know attribution is hard. As we've been able to track a lot of this through our CRM, what it says in terms of click-throughs and view-throughs, all these definitions get a bit confusing and then on top of that it's not clear what attribution modeling you're you're using has an impact and what that impact looks like on the final numbers definitely there was a difference between what our crm said and what the self-reported attribution said in platforms like linkedin quite a few came from the podcast but that's really not recorded in the last click model of the crm so the majority that were reported seems to come from LinkedIn or the podcast. There were more spots in there from those that did listen to our podcast, but that's because we try and preference them as applicants. But even generally for the applicants that we got across the board for this campaign, it was pretty spread at the end of the day. I think what we've heard anecdotally and what we've seen in the data doesn't fully reflect the real picture that a lot of the interactions before those last clicks actually came from an organic source, actually came from our helpful content. So attribution is always hard. Even when you're looking at last click, there's all these different things that you can look at. Just take everything with a grain of salt and know that it's not that important at the end of the day. As long as you have a rough picture, a rough sense of where things are going, where you can invest next, and you can use some of those data sources to guide those decisions. If you're turning a profit if you're making that revenue at the end of the day if things are looking good and positive from ri perspective that means you're in a good position to keep scaling to keep trying and to keep growing whether that's organic efforts or linkedin ads in our case the learning probably here is the attribution is telling us we actually need to do a bit of both and maybe they're better suited for different parts of the funnel but we need to start doing both
0: Yeah, spot on. Look, attribution is hard. As we said, should you use self-reported? Should you use uh, things that show up in a CRM? People say just use a blended approach. A blended approach is just a fancy way of saying look at both and just make a decision somewhere in the middle. Typically, self-reported attribution is really good at showing you how that demand was created. In our circumstance, a lot of that demand was created through the podcast or through people following our LinkedIn content. And then the last click stuff the people that clicked your ad, and then actually became applicants or customers, that's what closed the demand. And you should always be looking to optimize what closed the demand and should always be reviewing the self-reported attribution to look at, hey, what isn't being captured in the CRM that's actually really driving the awareness around this product forward. So make sure you try and capture self-reported attribution and make sure you still review what your CRM says because they are both Important.
1: Yeah, a little reading between the lines is always helpful, isn't it, George? When it comes to data and attribution.
0: Yeah, that's right. And look, this is it, the hard thing is, Kev, is our listeners are going well. That's all good and good for you and Kev because you guys know this stuff. You get this stuff. But for a lot of them, they still got to send a report through to their boss to show, hey, this is showing how marketing is making an impact on revenue. And so I think showing the two and showing that they're blended and just showing that, like paint that overall picture that, hey, look, our activities is directly impacting revenue. Here's how we can see that. Just make sure you try and communicate that.
1: Yeah, go back to those episodes and have a look at how we try and blend in qualitative data to those reporting scenarios. So for example, in this case, George had a lot of those conversations with the applicants as they came in and we asked questions like, how did you hear about us? What made you get across the line in a lot of those conversations? directly or indirectly but we got a sense of a lot of that and we recorded a lot of that down so that we can refer to it later and that is a great source of qualitative data that you can then pass back and qualify some of that quantitative data that you're then showing that blended data you're then showing to management to higher ups to decision makers in terms of how you reinvest go forwards with your channels
0: Great advice, Kev. Okay. The next learnings that we really wanted to take away from this campaign is, look, now we have a whole lot more applicants. We have data to, again, redefine who our best fit customers are. So we like to do this every time we run a campaign. It's not a one and done thing for the year. We like to constantly refine who our best fit customers are. We found, Kev, that look, they're demand gen marketers, B2B marketing managers, but also some quite senior marketers. And that's based off people who applied, but also people who have gone through the program and got a ton from it. And they've left us some amazing reviews, some amazing testimonials. And they're the ones who have told us that, hey, look, I don't know if you guys realize, but what you actually have here is seriously cutting edge. And if the program was described by one very senior marketing leader as a godsend for them, that has completely changed the way that they've approached their b2b marketing which is really exciting so for us that's awesome to know that that is a kind of marker that we can target So Kev, okay, we've got to now take that information away and look at okay if we're going to be targeting demand gen marketers b2b marketing managers and some like senior marketers like cmos and marketing directors are we spraying the field too wide are we better off just really focusing on just one of those job titles and really nailing those down That is my gut instinct, but we'll go through, run the numbers, and we'll see what makes the most sense for us there.
1: Yeah, that was a really interesting learning in the sense that some of the applicants mentioned that weren't initially convinced that the B2B incubator was for them as a bigger business, as more senior marketers, they felt that the language that we used around it to describe it seemed like it was more for beginners or marketers who were fairly green to the space. And it definitely is helpful to that audience. But as you said, it is also a framework that should help any marketer at any stage particularly those who are in enterprise situations where there's a lot of moving parts, their area is probably quite narrowed and siloed in within an organizational structure. But what this framework hopefully does is help them expand their field to go outside of that structure to be able to cross-functionally collaborate and get better results because of that. Something that will definitely take away to learn from and to understand that yeah, maybe we need to tweak that language if we need to focus in on a different dream customer, best fit customer group. As you said, great learnings from those conversations with those different applicants. And then another very interesting learning is that actually a lot of the applicants we got were from the US or the UK and one person's boss thought that it was... A little sus because the only payment method was an aud instead of not having an option to pay in usd as well so that was quite interesting for us maybe that's something that we can quickly expand into to let people understand that yes we are legitimate just because you pay in an aud doesn't mean it's sus. it's of course a program that really gives a lot of value and a lot of people have gone through it and it's easier to transact now that you can pay in USD. So even little learnings like that will really help tweak our process, our setup, our platform, our payment methods in this case, to make an easier journey into our products, into our services and into our content for our dream customers.
0: That's it. And look, the whole time, Kev, you and I constantly trying to 80-20 our business, right? What's the 20% that we can do that's going to drive 80% of the outcome Having multiple currencies available to pay it was not a priority for us, but now we've gone through, we've had all these applicants, so many are from the US, and we found out that, hey, it's actually important for the decision makers to see as a trust factor that they can transact in their own currency in USD. Now we know that's important. Okay. Absolutely. That's something that we will do because they are our dream customers and we should update our product to make it as easy as possible for them to transact with us. Another really key learning curve that we took away from this was that, hey, we've got to consider everyone in the buying committee. We really need to build trust with the decision makers too. So we priced the B2B incubator at two and a half thousand Australian dollars, really because after doing a ton of customer research, we found out that a lot of B2B marketers have a personal development budget of around $3,000. Now that still was true for a lot of our applicants and it was the case, but for quite a few of them, purse strings are a little tighter these days care than when we conducted that initial research a year ago. And some are now having to, yes, the budget is available, but they've really got to justify it to their boss. So applicants would often send our business case to their boss or their manager and really direct their managers to our podcast and resources as proof points of trust. Now, more often than not, that did work. But it really, Kev, to me, says that, look, even probably with our advertising, with some of our content, we've gotta be pushing that in front of the decision makers too. So we can make our lives for our dream customers as easy as possible. We want ideally, Kev, by the time the marketer brings the incubator to the boss's desk for the boss to be like, oh, yeah, I know who they are. They're awesome. Their content's fantastic. They're solving a problem that we really need solved. And then it's a total no-brainer. Or even one better, Kev, is do we target the decision makers directly and almost have a top-down approach So rather than have the B2B marketer go cap in hand to the boss saying, I need money for this program to improve my skills and better the business, we actually target the decision maker and go, hey, you need to get more out of your marketing team. Here's something that you can give to them to drive more revenue for your business. That turns it from a cost and investment in their staff to an actual opportunity in their eyes. It's the exact same thing. It's just a matter of how we're approaching it and how that information is delivered.
1: I think the best case scenario there is, as you said, to target everyone in the buying community with different messaging that's relevant to them and to really showcase the value from their different perspectives. And as you said, hopefully, either way, it's not a a top-down or uh, down-up kind of situation where someone seems to be at a disadvantage in that discussion. Hopefully, it's both parties coming together and saying, hey, have you heard of the B2B incubator, the B2B playbook guys, yes, I have. They're great. And that example that you gave, that it's an instant yes from both sides. They've just needed someone to bring it up. And that's obviously a best case scenario and a win-win for everyone involved. And yeah, as you said, a great learning to understand that there's more people in the buying committee that we probably should be talking to adapt to the changing environment and their needs as well. And I think also as part of that, a great learning for us is maybe we need to have a look at the structure of the Program itself. So make it easier for people to buy in the sense that perhaps we can change the structure or the timing of the cohorts or change the spots available and and give a different offering for those who are maybe a little bit more time constrained, can't commit to a 12 week period or can't commit to as much activity within a 12 week period if they have other things going on within the business. That's something for us to reflect on. I don't think it's something we'll change short term because I think the value that we see from the program is really to commit to that 12 weeks and to go through the material and go through all the exercises we have in there within that period. And it's a fairly short period in the grand scheme of things to really build that solid foundation to launch your demand generation campaign and program. But it's certainly something that we'll keep an eye on, we'll continue to get feedback on and continue to think about how we can offer that better for our dream customers and give them better ways to buy.
0: That's it. Look, you got to make it easy for people to buy. We had all these people who wanted to buy. And look, we filled, <laughs> fulfilled as many customers as we could, Kev. But then we've got this big group of leftover people that we've got to work out how to fulfill in the future. Because at the end of the day, we have this friction in our sales process which is really like by design is deliberate the reason we restrict it to 10 is because we want to make sure that every single marketer who goes through the program is extremely happy with the outcome that's so incredibly important to us that every marketer gets everything they want out of it so we restrict that to 10 so they can ask as many questions as they want when applying this strategy to their own business the 12-week time frame yeah it seems long but look that's just if you are going through and doing this program while you're still working this way, you're not just spending hours and hours in this program every week. It's just one hour of pre-recorded delivered material to you every week, rather than a lot of other programs, which are multiple hours. And look, we do cut a lot of the theory. We do just try and make it practical, but We found that 12 weeks probably is the sweet spot for that so far. But look, it does mean that there's people who say, hey, I've got to go on holidays in week seven and eight, and maybe that's not the right timing for me to do this cohort. So maybe we need to look at another way, Kev, of getting these people involved, removing that objection handling. One thing that we've already started exploring is say, hey, look, you can join the program. Once you pay for it, you get access to all our materials on demand, like straight away, as soon as you pay your payment also grants you access to a cohort in the future. So, a lot of them want access to the materials right now, but the timing of the live q and just doesn't quite work out for them. But this way, we can secure them as a customer, we can give them something that's really helpful right now, and then they can participate in the live Q&As in a cohort at a time that better suits them. So just one idea to come out of it.
1: Obviously, we have also the one-on-one version of the incubator program that people can sign up to obviously, a bit more of a financial commitment, but I think for those that want a more tailored experience, there's always that option available as well. So, really starting to explore the different spectrums of services and how we offer the right way to different cohorts within our dream customer group. And I think the next really good learning that we got out of it is that sales is still very important. And I think performance marketers like us, for those Of us who are really from a performance marketing background or marketing background in general sales that relationship is always hard understanding their value and the value of that step is always hard nothing like a day in their shoes and to really understand that value and obviously george taking a particular lead here has gone through a lot of those sales conversations for us on the b2b incubator and learning how to make sure that it's a smooth handoff from the marketing touch points to the sales conversations. He's gone through a lot of those conversations to understand what really works. And we've really refined our sales process in the last couple of months in running this campaign as well. So that was also a great learning to understand that full value of sales in the journey, certainly it's not the end of the journey when someone clicks through to apply for the incubator on the marketing side. There is a lot of heavy lifting still to do on the sales side.
0: Yeah, and look, calling it sales feels a little bit gross, Kev. The truth is we wanna meet each of these applicants and we do our research before we have a meeting with them because not everyone that applies, we don't select absolutely everyone to participate in the program. We go through and review the answers that they provided in their application. We also review their LinkedIn profile and we look at the company as well. And then in the actual conversation that I have with them about their application, it genuinely is about making sure that the program is a good fit for them. So it's a great opportunity to hear about their business, where they're at, what their roles and responsibilities are as you know, B 2 B2B marketing manager or a CMO of whatever it might be and what they're struggling with. And then I can really match those pain points, what they're struggling with to features and benefits of the program. Because at the end of the day, I don't Kev, we don't want people to go through this program who don't need it. This is for people who need it. We want people to benefit from this. Like you and I left a career in law because we weren't really satisfied with what we were doing. We just didn't feel like we were doing much. We didn't feel like we were helping anyone. And then I think you and I, Kev, have just been so obsessed with this be helpful mentality in the B2B playbook that we don't wanna trip at this hurdle further down the road and all of a sudden not become ethical and have bad customers who are bad fits who don't get much from the program. That's not what we want.
1: You're quite right there. Sales almost isn't the right word for those conversations and for that process after the initial marketing touch points. It's more like a recruitment or interview process where we get to know the applicant and the applicant gets to know a little bit more about the program and we see if it's a good fit. And if it's a good fit, then we move forward. If it's not, then we hopefully direct them to something that is a better fit for them and send them on their journey to continue that. And hopefully down the track at some point will be a good fit again or will be relevant to them. But really, it's as you said, to try and find that win-win fit, to try and find that scenario where both parties would get a lot of value from it and it is a good fit and less about sales and Maybe that's the definition of good sales. We're not sales experts. We're not salespeople by nature. But I think the way that we approach that conversation where it's more of a discovery conversation where we try and figure out, is it a good fit for everyone involved? That's a appropriate way for us at least to do it and to try and to do it at that stage in the incubator journey.
0: So I think a key takeaway here, Kev, for our listeners is Look, if you are teeing up a very highly qualified opportunity for sales, try and provide them with as much useful information in advance of their call that will make their call a huge success. Information about who this prospect is, where they came from, what information have they consumed? What problems do you think they're likely dealing with? What's their company size? All this information that if sales has it, they can have a much more productive conversation. Now you might be sitting there going, oh, that's sales's job. Look, Maybe it is, but you're still sitting on a lot of information, and sales and marketing have got to work together. Someone's got to budge first, Someone's got to put the goodwill forward first, marketers take action, you be the ones to do it. They're going to love it, and it's going to open up a whole lot of more productive collaboration down the road.
1: And I would say really, whoever starts it, it really starts to fly a flywheel of information sharing and really correct growth in the right direction. All those conversations, a lot of that information sits with the sales team. They are the ones that have those conversations that really get the learnings that you can reapply to your marketing messaging to improve the marketing funnel and targeting. Without that conversation with sales, with the customers, without those learnings, it's really flying blind. On the topic of just generally, those conversations with the customers have brought a lot of awareness for us to the B2B incubator. Some people who didn't think, it was right for them or didn't even really know it or or thought it was more entry level they were able to discover that this is what the incubator is about this is what it is about through this campaign we actually got a lot of great applications come through from those people who are later stage in bigger business who thought it was appropriate for them because we did this campaign because we had those conversations to a wider group of people that we otherwise wouldn't have had have we not done this campaign? So very important to have those conversations with a wide base of Dream customers to try and understand and develop and continue to develop and improve your communications and the program itself.
0: That's right. We've had the most amazing feedback from applicants around what we need to change in our messaging going forward, where our opportunities are for improvement Because at the end of the day, we've got something that's really going to help them. And if we're not communicating that in an effective way, we are doing them a disservice. Your business is exactly the same. It exists because it solves a problem. If you're not communicating what that problem is and how you solve it and how it makes that person's life better in a way that makes sense to them, you are doing them a disservice. So make sure you speak to your dream customers, get that information, update your messaging and do that, please. Kev, we also already touched on the fact that we had some really good outcomes from leveraging our own Dream 100. Of course, the Dream 100, for those that have been listening, one of our favorite marketing concepts. It's the idea that your dream customers are already influenced by other people places they hang out in different places online writing all those down is called the dream 100 the people that we collaborated with like jess cook she's part of our dream 100 and we know for a fact that we had people who joined the program not just applied but joined the program because they discovered us through a post from jess cook based in our collaboration which is pretty awesome The next learning, Kev, is we covered it, but don't skip on customer interviews and messaging or updating your landing page. Look, in our session with Jess Cook, when she took those insights from Ryan Gibson, when he interviewed our dream customer, Monica, and then she'd update our landing page. And she told me that we would be changing our headline to get your demands gen strategy out of your brain and down on paper. To be honest, Kev, I was arming and ahhing about it. I wasn't fully convinced, but... I trusted her. I trusted the research. I trusted her insights. I could very clearly see how she went from Ryan's research to creating that actual headline. And that was one of four that she wanted us to test. But you know what? We actually had Monica, our ideal customer, on the call with Jess. And when Jess pitched this as a potential hook for our headline on our landing page, Monica, our dream customer, went, yes, that is awesome. That is exactly how I feel. And so then we thought, okay, we better give this a go. And then Kev, once we started getting these applications in and I was meeting with these applicants, And speaking to them about their pains and their problems and why they applied for the B2B incubator, that was the number one thing that they wanted. They're really good marketers. So many of them know a good chunk of this strategy, but they just need a process that gives them the strategy, the templates and the tools to give them that head start that they need to reduce the mental load of having to put it together themselves. So many are just spending so much of their time responding to the needs of the business. They're doing sales enablement, they're doing demand capture activities. But they really need to start creating a demand generation program because as we say, if you don't do that one day, the number of people who are willing to buy your product right now is going to dry up. And guess what? The finger is going to be pointed at you marketing. So you need the strategy, the templates and tools to start chipping away at this in the background. Jess, absolutely nailed it, Kev. Get your demand gen strategy out of your brain, down on paper. Really good message for the particular segment that we were going after.
1: Yeah, certainly no substitution for that direct feedback and a direct application of that feedback into our workflows, into our process, and into our messaging in this particular case. Well, listeners, we've covered the results and the learnings. Let's talk about what the next steps are from here with all those great learnings and results. First, we'll probably have to review our UTMs on our ads so we can actually look at the performance at an ad level. Which ads drove the most quality applicants? Which ones were maybe not as good and need a little bit of a tweak in terms of the messaging or potentially the targeting of a particular message? It can get obviously a little tricky too since they're all working together and you don't want to break what's working in trying to improve it. For example, an applicant might see an ejection handling ad that provided useful information, but that doesn't necessarily encourage them to click through to their landing page until they see another ad that's more of a CTA. And So understanding those sort of relationships over time as we do UTMs, as we maybe map out some of those customer journeys will be important to get us a little bit more advanced, a little bit more sophisticated in our reporting and our analysis. Another great learning is we can start getting our ads ready based on those learnings that we've just discussed for the next campaign. We'll probably update quite a few different parts of the messaging and the positioning and the targeting based on our learnings from those conversations with our dream customers. We expand it into a cold audience. We'll probably continue to invest into that and to see if we can scale that and find pockets of opportunity there that align with our learnings from our conversations and the qualitative data we were able to collect. And we're also going to keep working on what's important, applying that 80-20 rule, making sure that the top 20% of our efforts is focusing on those things that will drive 80% of the results. And finally, for those 212 people that have signed up to our newsletter during this campaign, It'll be very exciting for us to continue to deliver value for them as a next step. And they'll probably be targeted in our next campaign if they're a good fit. But across the board, they'll hopefully be getting great value from our content and the newsletter.
0: That's it. The goal is to just give them as much value as possible, Kevin. They're not MQLs just because they subscribe to our newsletter. Even if they do fit the profile of our ideal customer, they're not. They're just not MQLs. We really care about Are they really engaging with that content? Are they really aware of the B2B incubator? And are they really ripe to apply for the program itself? You and I aren't out there trying to mind people and trying to get them to apply. Our ads are doing that for us. So yes, to those 212 people that signed up to our newsletter, to all those that consumed this perfect B2B marketing campaign, Yeah, you can probably expect to see some of our ads based on your engagement, but we absolutely will not be hounding you.
1: Yeah, and we'll hopefully just be delivering more value in those ads as well. All right, listeners, key takeaways for this episode. The Perfect Campaign ended up being a huge success, at least from our end, and hopefully for everyone else involved. And I think that's mainly because we already built so much trust with the audience that we were advertising to. If we had started the campaign without doing the customer interviews first, without updating our landing page, messaging, there's no way that it would have had that same level of success. So make sure to review your campaigns and try to gauge what's working and what didn't. And that way you can relaunch your campaigns and readjust your budget, maybe 80% on the things that you know work well and 20% on experimentation, whatever it might be. And you can focus back in on your learnings from your dream customers. And finally, just a big thank you to everyone involved, Monica, for giving us this opportunity to put together the campaign and to really triple your investment, if you will call it an investment. And also a big thank you to all our collaborators on this particular campaign, some great experts to have in the show. And it was really fun for us to collaborate, to do the content and to get some great learnings out of it.
0: Couldn't agree more, Kev. Thank you so much to everyone who participated. Ryan, Justin, Pasha, Jess, and Monica, of course. We have recorded all of those sessions that we had with them in heaps of detail. We've given templates that they use, like their strategy. We've documented it all on really nice landing pages. It's available as podcast episodes, as YouTube episodes. It's all there for you to consume. There's already five, I think, that we've done before this one one that details customer research, one that details landing page and copywriting, one that shows you exactly how we set up our LinkedIn ads and the strategy that we use, one that went deep into the tracking and reporting for it as well, one that even went into the whole ideation of this campaign and how we put it together and how we got sponsors on board. And now we're finally closing the loop, Kev, with the sixth one, which is, hey, this was the outcome of that campaign, these are the takeaways, and this is where we're going to move next. Okay, listeners, as always, you can find links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. And Kevin and I are just so grateful that every week more and more marketers tune in every Monday morning to the B2B Playbook podcast. If we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show on to someone who you think would get value from it. And also, please check us out on YouTube. It's a huge help to us and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week.
1: Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Catch you all next week.
0: A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to
1: this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our
0: playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks
1: for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.